Um, thanks, Nathan, for such an informative talk. Uh, so I'm just going to play the devil's advocate here. <laughs> so how do you answer back to, let's say, a scientist or someone who's skeptical of these uh, energy mechanisms that you're talking about takes place in a temple? How do we answer back to those guys? I think I will simply say that they do not have a capability or the faculties to decide upon things which are beyond the physical. So I think they do not even have a locus standard to you know speak about it. See, I spoke about the pancha koshas, stula, sukshma shariras, the pranamaya, annamaya kosha. What does science even today, may, uh, certain aspects, certain branches of science, even today think that brain, the mind is rooted in the brain. So unless and until they grow up over it, um, so I, I think they do not have a locus standy, it is simply about the pramana, you know valid means of knowledge. Science is valid in the physical universe, in the physical laws accepted, but they, they do not have a deeper understanding on some things because they rely on deeply you know laboratory methods, their methodologies are purely physical. So using a physical mechanisms, you cannot understand something non-physical. So, to so we in our tradition, the pramana is a very important aspect in the Hindu tradition for all things. Pramana means valid means of knowledge. So, we have our own valid means of knowledge. We have derived our own valid means of knowledge by various things. So, this this science, uh, yeah, I think it is a very fallacy uh, today's time that we think science uh, as the only pramana or the only valid means of knowledge and whatever it says is completely true and everything is false. That is also for, uh, faulty because even science itself keeps changing and changing with uh, times and it, uh, new discoveries happen, they change their stance, they change their hypothesis, right? Uh, you spoke about pramana. I think one of the things which can be uh, verified or validated is that as you said, the Vedas say that menstruation should be, should be a painless process, right? So no, if, Ayurveda says, yeah. Ayurveda, yeah. So if... Uh, if a woman practices all the do's and don'ts for a period of time, will she be able to attain a painless process of menstruation? Incidentally, there is at least one study, I have searched a lot, but there is one study I can give a reference to, wherein a group of I think 30 women, non-married uh, non women in there I think young women, were subjected to 6 months, 6 cycles of menstruation observation. They noted uh, 13 criteria of the issues they had before starting this Rajaswala Paricharya, uh, including you know uh, pain in the calf muscles, the pain in the lower abdomen, uh, pimples and uh, many other, there is a list you can see my articles for the whole details of the study. And they found that at the end of, I think I have details here itself, uh, let me read it out to you. Rajaswala Paricharya effect on menstrual cycle and its associated symptoms published by IOSR journal Dental and Medical Sciences February 2015 by Dr. Pallavi Pai, Dr. Sarita Buchuda and Dr. Prasad Patkar. It is in my articles you can search online. So they studied 30 unmarried females between 18 years and 24 years. They were asked to practice Rajaswala Paricharya during their 3 days of their menstruation for over 6 consecutive cycles. And the effects of the practice on the menstrual symptoms experienced by them was noted and appropriate statistics text, uh, tests were carried out. So the 13 uh, symptoms that they took into consideration was pain in the lower abdomen, lower backache, pimples, breast tenderness, cramps in cough muscles, loss of appetite, hot flushes, 
nausea and vomiting, constipation, increased bowel movements, increased um, frequency of mitoretain, weakness, headache, migraine, uh, irritability, depression, etc. So, what they found at the end is each subject that is each of the 30 people each subject in the study experienced drastic reductions in the number of symptoms they were afflicted with drastic reductions. The number of symptoms experienced by a single person before beginning the study ranged from 4 to 9. At the end of the study the maximum number of symptoms experienced by a single subject stood at 4. But the key here is this 4 was experienced by only 2 of the 30 people all others. The, the at least 11 of the 30 females uh, reported zero symptoms at the end of their uh, Rajaswala Paricharya practice for 6 months. 9 students reported experiencing only one symptom uh, and only 4 students said they experienced 2 or 3 symptoms. So, out of 13 symptoms at the end of the 6 months, 11 people said they experience zero symptoms at the end of the study. Before they experience maybe 4, 5, 6 or 7 symptoms, but it became zero at the end of 6 months. Also another key here, the compliance to various tenets of paricharya among these women increased from an average of 76.1 percent to 86.66 percent over the 6 months. But there was no other push, external push that they have to increase their compliance. But these females started to comply more and more on their own. Why? Because there was perceivable improvement in their cycle, how the cycle happened to them. So, I think at least in one study there is what I said the normal menstruation, women were able to experience it at the end of 6 months of practice. Also, I was just, uh, you know, I was listening to your talk and I got a little curious about how, uh, I mean, you spoke about how it was celebrated, right? Like menstruation is a celebration. Um, but if you see our households today, you know, it's something that is not often talked about. Like you don't discuss this in your family and stuff. So where do you think that comes from? Is it, uh, is it a result of colonialism or something else? Like where do you think that comes from? I don't know. I think so. See, this taboo, not talking, there are a lot of taboos whose roots are in, I feel they are in Abrahamic traditions, the Christianity, etc. I think Sankran Sanu has a very good uh, article on this. So, on, you know, misogyny, Christianity, etc. So, these, these taboos were brought in to India during colonial times. I feel so because if you see the Dharma Shastras or the Smritis, there is an open discussion on menstruation. This is called Sri Dharma because of course Sri Dharma is not limited to menstruation, but it is all, the menstruation is also called as Sri Dharma because it is something which is unique to women. Men do not have that privilege. We have to suffer by doing Sandhya Vandana and all those procedures, but women have natural means of purification. So, I, I quoted some Bhaudhyana Dharma Sutra etc. to show that there is an open discussion not just in medical texts, but even the Shrutis, the Smritis everywhere. Contrary to that, in our own homes, we do not speak. I do not know how, I have not done a study of how it evolved, but I think uh, we can safely say just like the topic of sex, you know, 
the today's the taboo it's it's all rooted in a victorian mentality of the sex as a taboo sex as something you know not to be talked it's something to be considered bad something considered impure but on the other hand we don't consider sex impure we recognize it as a legitimate purushartha purushartha means the goals of life the kama the, the desires including sexual is a legitimate purushartha and we take it further we consider it also as a sacred activity the spiritual activity if utilized can and will lead to samadhi i can quote from n number of uh, texts like vigyana bhairava tantra lord shiva gives 112 kind of meditations i think four of them is sexual meditation in the context of menstruation itself we have this concept of yoni puja in tantric uh, traditions yoni is vagina so yoni puja is or uh, the worship of the women along with her uh, sexual organ and it says only that yoni must be worshiped which has started menstruating without menstruation that yoni could, should not be and could not be worshiped so there, there is a lot of openness i think today's uh, our understanding the society somewhere down the line there have been skewed there is a, some distortion is there you have actually seen that Uh, forget the name. It's it's an image of uh, Lajja Gauri. So this Lajja Gauri, I I I I was not even aware of this form. While uh, researching, uh, just few days to for a proper picture for this presentation, I happened to this stumble upon it. This is lying in uh, the Badami uh, Museum. Uh-huh. I've, I've seen it. Fantastic, and that is a, such a beautiful form. She is the goddess of. fertility and by deep by extension she is the goddess of menstruation uh, our hindu tradition is has been a highly you know feministic uh, not the feminist in the sense feminine i think it's a more better word it 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 takes into account both the shak, uh, shiva and shak, uh, shakti aspect what they today call as yin and yang so it, it it it's a highly you know ground based tradition it takes into account everything uh thank you very interesting presentation i was just wondering uh you know from uh, you know taking on from uh, the question there uh since this you know is viewed very regressively uh, both in academia and also in uh, you know at homes so uh the one difference that uh, the liberating movement that you talk about in the us or some other country where uh, you know saying away becomes liberation here here it's not i think it's grounded in the idea of choice so if it is ground if that practice is grounded in the idea of choice and you make this uh, as part of uh, you know kind of education at home and then make it more choice based wouldn't that be a good way to inculcate uh, you know um, kind of, of awareness course, about of course see choice is ingrained in hindu tradition of course we may not no, be uh, practicing uh, uh, well, so let me let, let me hear exactly, you out yeah, hear me out yeah hear me out choice is ingrained in hindu tradition choice based on knowledge is ingrained in hindu tradition so that must be qualified the whole purpose of presentation is to provide knowledge so that each woman can decide for themselves the entire purpose of dharma shastra as a whole is to provide knowledge i will give an example of the how the choice is there there is a book i was reading rambles of ramayana this is in a different context by shri gyananda nanda saraswati so he gives the role of um, dharma shastra he says 
just as a friend just as a friend advises you see this is a benefit this is good for you this is bad for you and why this is good for you why this is bad for you what are the pros what are the cons and then you yourself make your decision just like that you have the dharma shastras which says these are the ideal things these are the good practices this gives this good results on the other hand these are the adharmic practices this gives you this bad results now it is for you to decide what you want to do the very concept of dharma and adharma it is rooted ultimately at the individual level rooted in the choice what i will also i will also substantiate with a quote from manusmriti which says that there are four pramanas for dharma there are four levels actually the first is the shruti the second is the smriti etc the third is sadachara the actions of you know the great people like gurus acharyas rama krishna etc the final is atmatripti self satisfaction so who is the self we individuals we have to understand and decide what is good for us the all the other the everything before that atmatripti is for a guideline it's a guideline it's for our guidance it to shows what is beneficial what is non beneficial the karma is that you do a karma you get an action after doing karma you, you there is no way to oh, no, saying i will not go through the fruits i will do only karma no right so these are the guidelines so there is always a choice these texts were written to give right knowledge ultimately guiding people to do what they want of course the the way deep down due to many internal and external factors i could name islamic invasion i could name colonialism but that, that will divert the topic i do not want to blame anybody here but that is a fact there are external uh, certain external influences there were certain internal reactions to that influences that there were many multiple number of factors which we cannot simply say this exactly caused this what we have to of course today the condition is bad people simply don't know when they don't know something they say practice it this is something we have received from ancestors because they themselves are ignorant of it why the question why that is why i started with the question why because that understanding is very important mechanically practicing is meaningless yeah uh, from what i know and from what i've learned in school and otherwise is that the concept of a working woman was not unknown in india in the ancient times women used to work take on administrative roles and other, everything else so is there some practice some written text in hinduism which provides some sort of relief or some sort of measures which help a woman uh, to continue with her professional and her professional activities during menstruation or some sort of remedy for that i think you are approaching it from a wrong aspect let us say some text will write women working is very important so let them go and work during menstruation nothing will happen to them will that mean that women who work women who exert physically themselves it will not create imbalance of doshas simply writing down something in a text will not change the biological the happening inside your body so the question is wrong because that may do, because the it makes no sense for writing something which does not re- reflect a physical reality so what we can do what i think see i think in our ancient tradition they were 
very you know understanding of the different natures of men and women and all the all the, the whole concept was based on the fact that each individual must attain their own self actualization by by working by doing things by following their inner calling according to their swabhava so women were the society was like such that women used to take rest during menstruation i think that can be even done today see women can do take a two days rest during, uh, during menstruation and instead work on two saturdays or two sundays something like that is is possible we are only we are not doing that because we have inherited this that so called menstruation is a natural activity does not take a rest does not need rest that we, this is a modern imposition from the you know modern uh, absorption from the west why why don't we do it why, the, there will be no harm to the career also of the women also because they are compensating for the two days leave on the menstruation by working on two other days right yeah um, i really liked uh, your talk and i especially like the parallel uh, that you drew between um, practices of pari uh, rajaswada paricharya and uh, sandhya vandana like performed by men so while uh, menstruation like is a natural phenomenon women have no control over it like they are getting purified whether they want it or not sandhya vandana is not a natural phenomenon why is there no talk of you know the importance of sandhya vandana why why like when when do we have a talk on that like men are you know uh, you know they are like requested or like they are like asked to you know perform you know, sandhya vandana and because they are they need to be purified also in a world where women are being mistreated you know by men you know primarily so the, the whole concept of uh, the brahmacharya avastha the studenthood you may say it is in the trivarna avastha you know the only for the dvijas and etc of course the vaidika aspect the is for dvijas but everybody you know had their own as kind of brahmacharya there is something called samanya dharma the basic duties like ahimsa asteya indriya nigra indriya nigra is control of senses why is control of senses is taught to prevent all the rape sexual assault etc etc right this sandhya vana yes it is very important though the people have a misconception that this is only limited to dvijas yes the vaidika sandhya vana is limited to dvijas there is a sound reason but this is not the place to speak about it but there is a tantrika sandhya vandana the maha nirvana tantra the shiva himself reveals it at the beginning of kaliyuga saying this is for whole kaliyuga all must do all the four varnas all everybody should do this this knowledge is missing where is where, who is speaking about tantrika sandhya vandana i don't see except few tantric practices this is for everybody right so why is that not there because our traditional education system was wiped out simply removed you read dharmapal you will see at the eve of colonial british invasion we had huge indigenous schools you should read also the sahana singh's latest book on education heritage how our universities were flourished in pre pre islamic pre colonial india and how the islamic rule first removed the universities and then the colonial uh, education removed the, even the gurukulas and other traditions that was that uh, survived the islamic uh, onslaught so the reason of the why is that that whole root root and stem was removed and we were able to save something some small things they are not small they are very big that's a different thing but many things were lost 
So yes, Sandhyavandana is a very important, not just Sandhyavandana, it is not just about Sandhyavandana also, there are other ways. Some spiritual activity is need of thar, but today people, you know, great, great pride in atheism. See, I do not hold grudge against atheists because I was an atheist in my high school. Yes, I regret now that I lost lot precious uh, years, uh, but I do not regret fully because today what I am, it is because I was an atheist then, I could appreciate each and every single small thing in a Sanatana Dharma, every single small uh, thing that is that is with Pramanas, not anything that we call Sanatana Dharma today anyways. So, I could appreciate it because I remember that at one time I rejected it. I one time thought it is a superstition. I one time thought what is this nonsense. Today I know what I consider as nonsense, it's, the consideration itself was a nonsense. So, the thing is, this is all important. I hope somewhere or someday to write a book on Sandhya also, but, but that is a different issue. Sadhguru himself has said that the men need to do Sandhya far more than the women. That is actually said over there. Do you have any advice on the Masik Dharma ke anu, uh, ke dauran, uh, Purushon ka sabse bada daayitu ye hai ki wo apne wife ke saa paas jaake not to seduce her. I am not speaking uh, out of the hat, okay? I am not speaking out of the hat. Of course, not in the same words, but there is a verse in the Manuspati which says, again, a verse which is considered as misogynist, but it is not misogynist. What it says, I do not exactly remember the wordings, but what it says is, Men who go and uh, you know have sexual intercourse with menstruating women will lose their energy and will lose their mind. So Manu is typical in his in his way of saying because he is a rishi, he he knows what is good for people. This is not misogyny. What he simply says is it is a responsibility of the men folk to facilitate women to practice Rajasola Paricharya by helping her. How will we, she be able to practice sexual abstinence if we go and keep on touching her? If we go and keep on saying her, hey, come and cook me, I am hungry. So I, I sometimes do that with my wife. <laughs> because today's we live in such a time that everything may not be possible. But I remember Gita which says, even little bit of dharma gives great fruit. So, men have a bigger responsibility because without men's helping, because what is a grihastha ashrama, grihastha, the, the householder life, what is the basis of it? Men and women are two sides, not two sides of the coin, they are half, Ardhanareshwara, half, the left half is women, the right half is men, right? So, they are together, the, our tradition does not speak of men and women as separate, they speak of them together, they together do everything, they together, you know, enter the nuptial ties, they together create new life, make the new life grow, give them educate, they together educate, it is not just men who educate, women, uh, women educate uh, children, she is the first teacher, right? And they together practice Grihastha Ashrama Dharma, a part of which is the Sri, Sri Dharma, the Rajaswala Dharma also. Uh, thank you for that talk, it was very informative. I'm very ignorant about uh, some of the things here, but like you said, Manuspati has been written by Rishi, Manu, a man. What I find very intriguing is all these texts that you quote, to my knowledge, which is limited, were all written by men. So an experience which is so unique to women, were 
how involved were women in making these rules which still continue to define their lives i think the, the question could be equally asked of me why a man is standing here and speaking right right ideally women i i always tell them who were asked me yes women should have come and stood why did they not do i have i am not the this is not the first time there are so many times why did they not do i don't know i had a calling i did but on a serious note in the puranas not related to menstruation but related to dharma shastra i'll say there is a mention of a lady called madalasa there is a madalasa upakhyana in one or two puranas she is a fantastic woman she is a gyani even when she is married and she is the one who imparted all the dharma shastras all the duties of a householder duties of a sanyasi everything to all the three of her sons her her teaching started when the baby was born with a lullaby this madalasa upakhyana the lullaby is very famous because the whole teaching is about moksha and advaita just imagine the baby being growing up hearing to that aham brahmasmi or something like that the first two sons took sanyas at the age of 8 and 6 or something like that they became sanyas they were the she was a queen no order uh, she was a queen and uh, the two sons became sanyas at the age of 6 or 8 something the husband said please don't make my third uh, i think third or fourth son also a sanyasi please 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 this uh, sanyasa is called as nivritti dharma on the other and the other aspect household is called as grihastha is called as pravritti dharma he requests her to teach them pravritti dharma and she teaches them about varana ashrama and everything that comes in it secondly in the in a ritukala samskara men has very little participation men have only passive role as i said the role of ritukala samskara was also to welcome the women into womanhood the children girls into womanhood and tell them their duties tell them the way about menstrual practices who did that women just because a rishi wrote a smriti does not mean that there is some uh, no women agency i I, th- i think the gist of the question is the agency so i gave a example of madalasa to show that women used to teach the, there is a example in our friend that our mothers the, the mothers talk to uh, daughters i think this is somewhere rooted in today's taboo that you know dads or uh, men folk don't too much talk they are very shy about menstruation because it is the women ladies who speak so this is another evidence though in a reverse way though in a slightly <laughs> trivial way that it was transforming women to women related to the aspect of the smritis see we need to understand something how this smriti were revealed the everything starts with some people approaching a particular rishi with a question that saying that please help us to understand the dharmas of everybody for the loka kalyana let us understand there is a enquiry and there is an answer that does not mean all such enquiries were recorded right so just because something has been some see okay let that is a fact i agree that men have been mostly the smriti authors but does it mean it is even any less authentic i take my example yes i am not a girl i am not a woman i do not undergo menstruation i don't know actually how you feel 
but I am not speaking about here how you feel, right? What I am speaking about here is the concept of ashaucha, the concept of vata pitta dosha. This is simply the, 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 the gender question does not arise in speaking about this. Why cannot men become gynecologists? Cannot men treat women? Can I, can, do, do you say men doctor, if a male doctor, how can you treat me? You do not know about me. You are not a woman. You do not have my biological process. You do not say that. Then why do we say it in this process? What, why we spoke about Rishi? Because Rishis are what their purpose, their drashtas. They could see the past, the present and the future. They had no personal agenda. They had nothing to gain from that. So, to understand our Shastras, we have to place ourselves in that tradition. Simply saying, ah, Manuswati something wrote, somebody wrote, some king wrote and then there was interpolations. This will never help you to get to the root of the issue because they, they have transmitted in a way for a particular reason. Mahabharata has been transmitted in a way for a particular reason. So, just because there is another reason I, I may also say, women had completely different role. Like I said, Madalasa, she taught her children the Dharma Shastras. She did not write a Smriti. Nobody stopped her from writing a Smriti. Her husband were entirely, he was entirely, he, he was entirely supportive of her and in fact, he admired her immensely. So, but why did she not write? Maybe she did not feel the inclination to write. Can we for once think that women in the tradition, they might not have written a Smriti because they may, might not have had an inclination to write. Maybe they did not know how to write because I mean, it's not, right, it's not about writing. Name, in our tradition, oral is more important than writing because word is a shakti, word is a power. Written never has that effect. But writing, when men were used to learn, women also used to learn. Even Kama Sutra, say I quote various traditions. In Kama Sutra, among the you know activities that women must learn, 64 arts. Mathematics, writing, etc., are mentioned. So, the thing is, when such a thing is already mentioned, they were given immense freedom to do what they like. The thing is, why it is very difficult to answer? We can only conjecture, we can only guess why they did not do it. I hope more women will do it. I hope, I know few women who are dharmically oriented who agree with me, but they never, they are not doing this lecture today. I, am I to blame that I am doing this lecture today? If, if anything, I am not blaming women for not doing it because in Hindu tradition, the agency is not the matter. Even Trayambaka Yajwan who wrote Sri Dharma Patthati in 18th century, again a man, he invokes Goddess Parvati and he says, this is not my doing. I am merely a conveyor of a message from Goddess Parvati. Just before coming here, I was reading this. He says, this is not written by me. I am not the agency, he is removing his own agency. When men remove their own agency, that, that is why we never thought about agency, about men and women, I have to do this, this is a copyrighted patent or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just you know from copyright to patents and this is the same thing I was thinking, what is going to happen perhaps 
if we uh, you know uh, have some studies done in this area and you realize the health benefits of uh, following these uh, you know age old uh, traditions then perhaps what is going to happen is like what is happening to yoga in the west today so where it gets uh, digested is a form of a secular practice and then the other kind of elements that are uh, you know seen holistically in the context of the ecosystem the vedic ecosystem might be completely lost so uh, how do you then you know uh, uh, you know have this uh, undertake this challenge of actually practicing it as uh, from a holistic point of view rather than digesting it eh? and then uh, you know see the solution is very simple who is digesting the west is digesting even the east is digesting let i have many colleagues complex. who practice let yoga but uh, uh, you know don't want to chant uh, yes, yes. let me complex here the west is digesting and imported it back to india and we are taking it up so fault somewhere down, uh, lies with us that we have forsaken our own practices so solution is simple you start practicing you start living a holistic life transmit to your children transmit to your students transmit to others you practice and then teach adhyayana acharana adhyapana adhyayana is study acharana is practice adhyapana is teaching this is the three pillars in hindu tradition about any way vidya any form of knowledge this three thing is important today's what we do you by heart something in a book we teach there is no practice so if there is no practice then when you preach it has no shakti it has no power it has no influence what vivekananda said 100 years ago is today still working it's still having its influence on number of people thousands of people but what some other person what that uh, what mayo or someone who wrote that uh, book on india or something nobody knows nobody read see i don't even remember that person's name <laughs> gandhi called her book uh, gutter inspectors uh, account of india or something nobody knows who is she but we know vivekananda so that is the effect of his adhyayana acharana and then adhyapana the adhyapana has an effect because there was acharana i am digressing the point is we can start it at home see what is the whole purpose of this to influence at least one of you to implement something 1 2 3 maybe one month you do one thing and next month you do zero and next another month you do four even as singles account single activity of dharma frees you from fear frees you helps you benefits you so there is no shortcut other than practicing it understanding it practicing it and teaching it spreading it to the competent people again another criteria uh, 